I've determined if I keep working with these boys, I'm going to get them there. I tell you what. Thank you, guys. Keith, Winston, Marty, choir, thank you for leading us in worship today. I want to call your attention in your Old Testament to the 22nd Psalm. While you're turning there, just a couple things. Um, I believe what the scripture said, weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. I'm grateful there was a lot of weeping, I'm sure, on the day Jesus died. There was weeping during the time he was in the tomb, but thank God for the morning. Amen. And while you're turning also, I'll remind you that uh, right after the service, if you haven't already had the opportunity, there is an Easter uh, photo op set up in the war room, which is on this main uh, level. It's our prayer room. We call it a war room because when you, when you talk to God and you intercede before God on behalf of things in this world, it is a battle. Amen. So nevertheless, uh, but there is a uh, photo op set up in there, an uh, Easter scene, and they'll be there, my sweet wife and some others will be there to help you right after the service. If you haven't had your and your family picture made yet, we'd love for you to do that and have a good memory of this special Easter Sunday that we've been allowed to gather together here once again in worship. But I am so glad you're here, and I want you to know God has a word for us today. I trust we'll all go away changed. You know, Ronnie Floyd said that's the definition of worship is when you encounter Jesus Christ and it results in a lifestyle change. Amen? No matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, you ought to be different when you leave because of what you heard from God's word. Amen? Psalm 22, if you found your place and physically able, would you stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of God's word? I'll read a few verses of this chapter. We'll talk through some truth in it and trust that God will use it for his glory. Notice what the word of God says, Psalm 22, verse 1. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent, but you are holy. Enthroned in the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you, delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, my strength and my redeemer. May lives be changed as a result of hearing the word of God today. And may you be glorified by all this accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Today I'm preaching on the subject of the case for Calvary. You've probably heard of a book called The Case for Christ written by a man named Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was a person who was basically an atheist. He did not believe in the resurrection, was a news reporter, and set out to disprove the resurrection. Throughout his research, he come to one conclusion. He could not disprove it because too much of history and scripture approved it. Amen. Became a follower of Jesus has been greatly used of God over the years. And 
He made the case for Christ, case for his existence, case for all that he did, and the case that he is the Son of God. Today we look into Psalm 22 to make a case for Calvary. Psalm 22 is one of the most intriguing chapters of your Old Testament, if not the entire Word of God. You will hear some statements that I read just a moment ago and others that we will look at in this chapter that will be quite familiar to you because you have a New Testament that helps confirm the prophecy of the Old. Amen? King David is the human author of this psalm. He is credited with writing 73, at least 73, of our 150 psalms. But this one is one that is quite unique to say the least. As you read the words of this psalm, especially if you didn't have a New Testament, you would look and say, David is in quite a mess. He is in a time of deep and personal crisis and it's very possible that he wrote this psalm during a time of deep personal distress, but this chapter goes much deeper than what was just going on with David. This chapter reveals some distinct prophecy of the cross of Calvary and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our place over 2,000 years ago. Psalm 22 is referred to by many theologians as the crucifixion psalm. Some, some refer to it as the psalm of the cross, and there's a reason for that. This psalm is quoted seven times in the New Testament and each reference of this psalm quoted in the New Testament is in reference to Jesus Christ. It also contains 33 distinct prophecies of the Old Testament that were ultimately fulfilled at Calvary's cross. Yet, it was written a thousand years before the birth of Christ. You say, that's quite amazing, or that's some coincidence. Well, I'd say to you is I echo the words of the great Bible teacher, John Phillips, who said this. He said, Psalm 22 is a most convincing example of divine inspiration of the Scriptures. That word inspiration means God breathed. He said, it's a divine inspiration of Scriptures for only God can prophesy with such unerring accuracy. Only God could speak into the heart of a holy man of God to pen words 1,000 years before the birth of Christ that would give graphic and vivid detail to the crucifixion, his death, burial, and glorious resurrection. So as we make a case for Calvary today, as though we needed one, I want to help you today because this psalm is one that sometimes is overlooked in our study and reference to resurrection and what took place at Calvary. So let's just take a moment or two, a few minutes if we will, and let's walk through the text together as we make a case for Calvary. The first thing I want you to notice that David does is he talks to us about a painful petition. You read about that in verses 1 through 6. The statements that are made in this psalm, they detail some very bitter experiences of David, but they go much further than anything he ever experienced in his own personal life. The following words that we read, and we'll read again here in verses 1 through 6, 
give us a vivid picture of the Lord Jesus and the painful experience and death that he had on Calvary's cross through physical crucifixion. When we talk about this painful petition, there's two parts to it, and I want you to notice both. The first is David talks to us about personal isolation. There is something very painful about being isolated by yourself for an extended period of time. But in verse 1, it opens with some very familiar words to you. If you're a student of Scripture and you've studied much about the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, are very clear to you and ring in your ears. They are the words that Christ uttered on the cross and they are prophesied 1,000 years before his birth. When we read those words, we see how David, in his agony, began to ask questions of God. Have you ever had anybody say this to you in your Christian experience and journey? They'll say to you, well, if you're really going to be right with God, you never need to question God or ask why. Have you ever heard anybody say that? If you've heard somebody tell you that, would you please disregard that useless information you received? Amen? Why? It's okay for you to say, God, I don't understand why this is happening. Amen? Do you know what that proves? It proves your humanity and his deity. It proves that you are crying out to the rock that is higher than you, seeking answers for which you have none here on this side of eternity. So when somebody tells you, don't ask God why, do not pay them any attention, they have no clue what they're talking about, okay? Let me help you. It's all right. Then here is David. Look here. David, a man after God's own heart, that literally means a pursuer of the heart of God, if David had to ask God why, who do I think I am? Amen? He says, why are you far from me? Why are you not helping me? He said, why are you far from the words of my groaning? And that word groaning is rather interesting in the original language, and here's what it's used to refer to. It's used to refer to the roar of a lion. It's used to refer to the noise of thunder. It is used to refer to the cry of an animal in distress. You ever heard an animal that's in distress that has no way to get help or nothing, and they moan and groan and wail in their distress? David said, that's what I'm doing. I'm wailing. I'm moaning, I'm groaning, I'm crying, I'm asking, I'm pleading, but God, it seems as though you're not coming to my rescue. Why did he feel so abandoned? Probably a lot of the reason Christ felt so abandoned. Why did Christ feel abandoned on the cross? Well, it had a lot to do with what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where Paul said that he who knew no sin became sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. <laughs> he who knew no sin became sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the good news. Some people say that on the cross Jesus became a sinner, but nope, never was a sinner. He's a sinless son of God, absolutely perfect. He did not become a sinner, but he took upon himself our sin. Amen. He took upon himself our guilt, our shame. He took upon himself all the things that we were worthy of standing in judgment for. He took upon himself and felt totally and completely isolated from God the Father because of our sin. Oh, I like that. 
I like that he did that. I don't know what I'd do if he hadn't. John Philip said this. He said, Jesus was tasting death for us. Jesus was experiencing, you need to hear this. He was experiencing what every lost soul experienced in hell for all eternity. Listen to me. What Jesus went through on the cross was payment for our sin debt. And if you don't receive Christ as your Savior and allow him to be your sinless substitute for your sin, then, friend, for eternity, you will experience that agony, separated from God, isolated from holiness forever because you didn't come by the way of the cross. Oh, there was some personal isolation, but David goes a step further. He also gives us a powerful illustration. Notice what happens. He's calling out to the Lord. He's saying, Lord, wait a minute. I'm calling on you. And I haven't heard anything from you. But I realized something. I realized you're holy. And because you're holy, I'm going to think about all those others that called on you and trusted you. And I'm going to think about the times you they cried out to you and you delivered them. They trusted in you. They were not ashamed. And you were there. Then he uses that word but again in verse 6. And you know, I've taught you many times when you read the word but in the Bible, whatever you read, and that door's fixing to swing. He says, but wait a minute, I'm not like them. I'm just a worm. <laughs> just a worm. I don't know, man, as a reproach of men and despised by the people. If you're not careful, you'll read that and you'll skip over it and you'll miss something that'll knock your socks off. Amen? When you read the word worm, it's used to describe something that's just amazing. I told him in the first service, I'll tell you again, Tide fans, you perk up, you're going to get blessed, right? Okay? All right, look here. It is used to refer to a worm called the crimson crocus. Y'all got some of them flying around here in Chulafini, I'm sure, right? No, the crimson crocus. And look here. That worm was used to extract scarlet from to color the robes of kings. Oh, my goodness, Marty. I done preached this one time. I'm about to have a spell the second time. Okay, look here. Oh, look here, look here. I say the word crimson and everybody goes, ting, ding, ding. Look here. <laughs> this is more than winning a championship. This is more than anything like that. This is about eternity, ladies and gentlemen. Look here. He, he's saying, here's what he's saying. He says, I'm just a worm. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know Jesus Christ became that worm for you and I because the only way for this royal dye to be extracted from the worm was because the worm had to be crushed. Oh, church, it's a good thing to be here in the house of God today because you need to hear this. Ladies and gentlemen, when the weight of my sin was greater than I could bear, and you too, and the sins of the world, Jesus Christ was willing to take that sin debt to the cross and be crucified and crushed so that his royal blood could flow from that cross and land upon my sin and make me white as snow. Oh, glory to God for the scarlet thread of the word of God and the blood of the Son of God that still sets us free. Amen. Amen. Oh, Lord. Man, I read about that worm. Man, I, I've been holding that in all week. Last night, Angie said, you know, you need to come on. She knows me. We've been together since we're 16 years old, married since we're 19. 
raised two girls together, trying to raise two son-in-laws. Be that's where I really need y'all's prayers, buddy. <laughs> she said, "You really need to come on to bed now. You're gonna be tired. You got our sunrise in the morning, and you got to preach twice tomorrow morning. You're gonna be tired." And I said, "I'll be there in a minute." And I didn't want to tell her because I didn't want to wake her up, keep her up all night. But I said, "Oh, I'm still thinking about that worm. How he was crushed, <laughs> and how his royal blood cleansed me." and made me able to wear robes of righteousness instead of the rags of humanity. Oh, God is good. You know, I was also had a friend of mine sent me something this weekend just really blessed me. It's a video about this guy who's a shepherd. You know, a while back I did a series on the 23rd Psalm, seven sermons on the 23rd Psalm, and just really dove into what shepherds do and what sheep are like and, and read old Philip Keller's book that I recommend to everybody. The shepherd looks at 23rd Psalm. Y'all to read it before you die. It's awesome. <laughs> but he sent this to me about this shepherd. He was standing in the stalls there with some sheep and he was weeping. He said, boys, I just got to tell y'all what's happened. He said, God showed me something to these sheep. He said, we had a mama sheep that gave birth to two baby sheep. And said, one of them was very sickly. So she paid a lot of attention trying to nurture it and get along, but it was so sickly that it died. And after it died, the mama sheep began to shun the one that was still alive and could have survived. And that, child, that sheep began to get weak because of lack of nourishment, because the mama sheep wouldn't nurse it, wouldn't nurture it, wouldn't take care of it, and was just shunning it. And he got weaker and weaker, and they said, what are we going to do? The sheep's going to die. I don't know anything else to do but the one that did die is we need to take that sheep's coat and take some of his blood and we need to wrap the coat of the sheep that died around the one that's going to die and we need to put some of its blood on its head and just see if that'll make a difference. But in no time the mama sheep began to smell that baby sheep that she lost. She began to smell its coat and began to see its blood. And before long, she began to take this one that she was shunning. And all of a sudden, she began to accept and nurture the sheep. Why? Because she smelled the blood and the coat of the one she had died. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, when I see that picture, I think, isn't that what Jesus did for us? When we were lost in our sins and headed for hell, oh, he wrapped us in his coat. He put his blood upon our head. He cleansed us and he made us accepted in the beloved. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God. And ladies and gentlemen, I can't tell you today what that means to me. And if you're here today and you say, I feel shunned by the world. I feel shunned by everybody else. I even feel shunned by God. I want you to know that the Son of God is calling on your heart and life today and he's pleading with you through the precious Holy Spirit of God to come to him so that he can wrap you in his garments he can cleanse you by his blood and he can make you a son or daughter of God that's just how much he loves you amen amen well whoo a painful petition but there's something else he talks about and that is the terrible treatment of our Lord now walk through this with me and I'll try to be as brief as I can the psalmist continues to talk about what happened 
to our Lord on the cross and he begins in verse 7 and he talks about how our Lord was disdained. Now just keep your Bible open. Let's walk through together. He says, look here. He says, they shoot out the lip. <laughs> it's an expression of derision or contempt. It's compared to somebody sticking their tongue out at you. Makes you feel really good, don't it, right? Now, I told him in the first service, shoot out the lip. Here's the 21st century vernacular. He, he's saying this. He said, they're talking trash to my Lord. Amen. Talking about him, making fun of him, sticking out their tongue at him. He says they're shaking the head. And the shaking the head doesn't just talk about the persecutors. It refers to the scorn and contempt that was hurled at Jesus by those who passed by the way. There are people just walking by, just shaking their head. Ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, sometimes people say, you Christians, you don't make any sense. You believe that one man could die for the sins of the entire world and that his blood would be sufficient. You just don't make any sense. And when people see you walking with God, people see you talking with God, people see you serving God, they see you coming to worship, they see you serving beyond the walls, and they wonder why. They just shake their head. I'll tell you what, when you get a personal relationship with the Son of God, and He becomes the Lord of your life, and He takes over not just the will, but every facet of your life, I'll tell you, you won't shake your head, you'll get in the game. Amen? Oh, verse 8 represents the mockery of how these chief priests mocked our Lord not only was he disdained but he was disrespected it's an interesting word picture there in verses 11 through 13 where it talks about the bulls of Bashan he said these people are treating our Lord like the bulls of Bashan you say what is that well Bashan was a piece of property it was a wide fertile pasture land it stretched as far from Mount Hermon to Jabbok. If you know anything about Middle East geography, you know that's a big area. And the bulls would gather in a circle, and here's what they would do. If they came upon an unsuspecting person, unsuspecting animal, or an unsuspecting odd object, they would come around that object, come around that person, come around the animal, and they would circle, 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 and take turns jabbing at the object or the person or the animal. Isn't that the way the enemies of the Lord did him? They just jabbed at him. They hit him. They punched him. They kicked him. They spit on him. They did anything they could do to inflict pain. But he was also talks about his destitution in verse 14. Notice what the scripture says. There's a very vivid picture of the cross in these verses. Walk through them with me. He says, my tongue clings to my jaws, which is a description of intense thirst. What was it Jesus said on the cross? I thirst. He said, they pierced my feet and my hands, which is a cruel detail of the crucifixion. He said, my bones are out of joint, which implied all the physical stress that he was under. But then he said, I can still count all my bones. <laughs> so what's important about that? Well, it is a fulfilled in John 19.30 where it says not one bone of his body was broken which was also a fulfillment of the prophecy of Numbers 9.12 where that was a requirement for the perfect Passover lamb. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know today no matter what you do in scripture, no matter where you look, you can find Jesus all throughout the Bible. I was reading this week, some people say he's just New Testament. I say he's Old Testament. I was reading this week and I began to notice some things and I made a few notes and I just want to share them with you, amen? If you go through your Bible and you read in Genesis, you'll find that he's creator God. 
If you go to Exodus, he's redeemer. Leviticus, he's your sanctification. Numbers, he's your guide. Deuteronomy, he's your teacher. Joshua, he's your mighty conqueror. In Judges, he is a victory, gives victory over your enemies. In Ruth, he's your kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he's the root of Jesse. 2 Samuel, the son of David. 1 and 2 Kings, the king of kings and lord of lords. In 1 and 2 Chronicles, he's your intercessor and high priest. In Ezra, he's the temple, the house of worship. In Nehemiah, he's your mighty wall. In Esther, he stands in the gap. In Job, your arbitrator. In Psalms, your reason to sing. In Proverbs, he's your wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's your purpose. In the Song of Solomon, he's your loyal friend. In Isaiah, he's your mighty counselor, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. He's everything you need. In Jeremiah, he's the bomb of Gilead. In Lamentations, he's the faithful one that you can depend on. In Ezekiel, he assures that dry dead bones will come alive again. In Daniel, he's the ancient of days, the everlasting God. In Hosea, he's the faithful one. In Joel, he's your refuge. In Amos, he's the husbandman. In Obadiah, he's the Lord of the kingdom. In Jonah, he's your salvation. In Micah, he's the judge of the nations. In Nahum, he's the jealous God. In Habakkuk, the holy one. In Zephaniah, the witness. Haggai, the overthrow of your enemies Zechariah the Lord of hosts and Malachi the messenger of the covenant the son of righteousness with healing in his wings in Matthew he's the king of the Jews in Mark he's the suffering servant in Luke he's the son of man in John he's the son of God in Acts he's the savior of the world in Romans he's the righteousness of God 1 Corinthians he's the rock of Israel 2 Corinthians he's the triumphant one Galatians he's your liberty in Ephesians he's the head of the church in Philippians he's your peace in Colossians he's your completeness 1 Thessalonians your hope 2 Thessalonians your glory 1 Timothy your faith 2 Timothy your stability Titus he's your God and Savior Philemon he's your benefactor in Hebrews he's your perfection in James he's the power behind your faith 1 Peter your example 2 Peter your purity 1 Peter John your life. Second John, your pattern. Third John, your motivation. In Jude, the foundation of your faith. And in Revelations, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's coming again for his church. That is Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. He's the Son of God. Amen. Amen. And amen. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I'm just grateful to God he's in charge, aren't you? Well, he was a lot of things. He was destitute. He was also disregarded. <laughs> Verse 17 said they stared at him. Nobody likes to be stared at, do you? Verse 18 fulfilled the Roman soldiers, how they gambled for his clothes because his suffering meant nothing to them. Well, there was some terrible treatment, but I got to close today by telling you about some resounding results. It's one thing for him to go to the cross. It's another thing for him to go in the grave. Thank God he didn't stay there. All that suffering could never be in vain. Three things I want you to notice real quick. One is there was a resurrection. <laughs> notice what verse 22 says. I will declare your name to my brethren. You say, wait a minute. All that agony, all that pain, and 
the death that came, how could he declare anything? The only way he could declare anything is there had to be a resurrection. I love what John Philip says here about it. He talks about this psalm, which is a song. It tells you the tune it's set to there, set to the deer of the dawn. I, I don't know a whole lot about hymnology and stuff like that, but I know that this was a song that was sung in worship. And here's what John Phillips says. He said the song changes in verse 22. It is suddenly transposed to another key. The music is lifted a whole octave higher. The whole tenor of the words is changed. There is sudden silence as death intervenes and the psalm begins again on resurrection ground. The cross gives way to the crown. The crown, the tree, gives way to the throne. Thank God he arose. There was a resurrection. Not only was there a resurrection, but he also tells us a word about a congregation. Do you see that in verse 25? Notice what verse 25 says. He says, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him in the midst of the great assembly. You know what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is? It's really just one big old eternal congregation. It's not 22nd Street Baptist Church and Ebenezer Number 9 Methodist Church. It ain't new hope or no hope or some hope. It's the eternal body of Christ. We have a special relationship with Jesus, but we also have the promise of a special place to spend eternity with Jesus. We are his purchased and prized possession and at his coming, here's what's gonna happen. This is amazing. He will put on display in glory his church and he will fulfill every vow that he has made to his church. Jeremiah 18 talks about the potter and the wheel and the clay and how when the potter is done, he takes the pot and he puts it on display and the pot never brings glory to itself. It only brings glory to the hand of the potter in whose hands it was marred. Ladies and gentlemen, the church does not exist for our own personal glory. We only exist to bring glory to the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We are his congregation. But then finally, there's a celebration. You see that? Verse 26 says, The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. The poor will be satisfied. The seeker will find satisfaction. Hearts will be convicted of sin and will turn to him in salvation to be a part of the great celebration. Hear me, if there were no resurrection, I wouldn't be a part of his congregation. But because of the resurrection, he allowed me through his precious grace and mercy and through the shed blood of Calvary to be a part of his congregation. And because I, have been, because I believe in the reality of the resurrection, I'm a part of this congregation, I'm gonna join in the celebration. Amen. And I really think I told him in the first service. Let me see how y'all feel about that. I think we ought to practice a little bit before we get there. <laughs> a few of you think so. Okay, look here. Well, I mean, come on. A lot of Baptist folks, I say, what are y'all doing holding out? 
I mean, look here. Let's enjoy Jesus on this side so we get to the other side. We won't be all out of sorts. We'll just pick up over there where we leave off over here. Amen? I'm going to leave you this today. I was watching a little video clip on Friday. A friend of mine shared with me. It was a video clip of a preacher well-known that you know, Alistair Begg, been around a long time ago. Now, I'm going to try in this service to channel my inner Alistair Begg dialect because he has quite a British draw, you know, somewhat British slash, I don't know what it is, but it's not Cleveland County redneck. I know that, so he knows that. So, But I was watching him, and he starts talking about what it's going to be like when we get in the presence of the Lord. He said, and you know, if you picture yourself getting to the presence of the Lord, and should you be asked, how'd you get here, or why are you here in glory, if your answer begins with anything that starts with the letter I, then you got the wrong answer. Because if you say, I accepted Christ, I did this, I did that, that's the wrong answer. He said, your answer can only begin with the word he. Because he's the reason we're going to be there, right? And if he's not the reason you're going to be there, you need to make sure you're going there. Amen? Because if you're going there based on what you did instead of what he did, woo! But then he got to talking about the thief on the cross. That's an intriguing guy. I want to meet that guy too, don't you? Don't you imagine he'll have a line of people waiting to talk to him when we get there. But we got, time won't matter anymore, so it won't matter. But I'm sure folks will be lined up. Maybe they'll want an autograph. I don't know, but they'll line up with a thief on the cross. And he said, can you imagine his journey? One minute he's beside Jesus, he's cussing Jesus, and all of a sudden something happens. He realizes, hey, this dude's for real. I might ought to pay attention and then I ask him one quick question. Hey, would you remember me when you come in your kingdom? And then automatically he says, today you will be with me in paradise. He says, can you imagine what it was like when he landed in paradise? And he said they came over and maybe they interviewed him and said, hey, how'd you get here? He said, I don't know. I don't know how I got there. He says, well, wait a minute. Don't you understand? Can you give us an exposition of the doctrine of justification by faith? No, I don't know that. Well, could you just give us a, an exposition of the doctrine of sin and salvation? Could you tell it? Come on, you've you got to give us more than you don't know. What do you mean you don't know? And they kept on with him and kept on. And finally they said to him, said, you're going to have to tell us how you got here. Alistair Begg said, the thief replied, the man on the middle cross he said, I could come. <laughs> Woo! Amen. Well, wait a minute. He didn't go, well, it's because I was a pretty good old boy and I didn't commit more sins than the guy down the street. He was worse than me. No, he didn't say it was because of what I did to deserve to be here. I'm only here. Because the man on the middle cross said, I could come. 
Let me help you with something right here today, okay? If you're a child of the Most High God, you've repented of your sins and you've trusted Christ as your one and only Savior, can I tell you the only reason you will be in glory is because the man on the middle cross said you could come. <laughs> but if you've trusted any other thing or any other way or tried to make your own way, then that man on the middle cross will not welcome you to glory, but he will pass the judgment to you that will keep you out of glory. Can I commend the man on the middle cross to you today? I, I pray that the Old Testament 22nd chapter of Psalms has made a clear case for Calvary. But we're not here to just prove a point. We're not here to, to just prove a historical fact. We are here to plead with you to surrender your life to the man on the middle cross. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, how I thank you for your word. how it speaks to my soul and how it challenges me to be more like you. Father, right now, I want to pray for any person in this room that does not know you, not just the man on the middle cross, but the Lord of glory who is able to change them for eternity. Father, I pray that right now as you're speaking to hearts and lives that those who don't know you would be convicted, God, and it's not a negative thing, it's a positive thing because it proves they can't save themselves and they want to know you. And God, on the very first word of the very first verse of this invitation hymn, oh God, may they have the courage and may they have the desire just to step in that nearest aisle and just come forward. Give us the opportunity to tell them about you and see you, you do in their lives what they never thought possible. Father, for this church, I pray we'd have a greater passion for the gospel and a greater passion for sharing the gospel in these days than we ever have. Time is running out, Lord. You are soon to come for your church, and I pray that some people today are one to the family of God. It will be a part of that royal number. God, do what only you can do. Draw your net. Save the lost. Restore joy to the backslid and broken. And God, we're going to give you praise for all you do. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Don't you stand with me all across the house today. All across the house, wherever you are. Just look this way just for a moment before we sing. If God has spoken to you today, I want you to hear me. As God speaks to your heart today, I want you to obey him and do as he says. And if God's dealing with you about your eternity, where are you going to spend eternity? You're not sure you'd go to heaven when you die. Please don't be ashamed. Please don't feel anything other than that you are loved and you're in a place where people love you and will celebrate with you the good grace of God as he speaks into your life.
But whatever God's bidding you do, we stand here ready to help you and plead with you just to come to Jesus. Marty, you lead us when you're ready. Sing this last verse with Marty with all your heart now. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relief, because I Praise to the risen Lord Jesus this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And be seated if you would. Y'all just hold tight. Just a second there, Rob. We got a couple announcements need to make before our ushers come. And I want to grab these real quick before we get out here on this special Easter day. I want to say what a joy it has been to be here with you today. And I want you to pay close attention to several things that are in your worship guide. There are several announcements, there's some inserts. And just a couple things I want to emphasize real quick before we receive uh, our morning tithes and offerings. Uh, Senior Recognition Day is May 1st, which is the first Sunday in May. It's just a few weeks away. Uh, all of our senior parents, if you would, if you have not picked up the form from the Welcome Center, please do so and get that back to us by the 29th so we'll be able to recognize our graduating seniors this year. <clears throat> this week, a lot of things are coming up. Student ministry. If you, the rent a youth day is Saturday. If you need some help, you want to rent a student to help you with work so you can contribute to their uh, summer youth retreat, which is June 10th through 13th. And if you need information about the youth retreat, you can see Chris or Tracy Miller, and they can help you with that. And if you need uh, some rental help and work them like a borrowed mule, then you got the special day to do it. It's what Robbie always said, like a borrowed mule. Amen. So do remember that. Uh, the Engaged Missions Conference starts next Sunday night. So we've got 
got some information about that. That's over in Oxford with Bob Record next Sunday night. Next Sunday morning is Awaken City Day. Our church planters from Utah will be here. Brother Jonathan's going to be here. Look at that sweet family. Uh, he went out there with two kids, and in no time in Utah, he has five. So anyhow, I don't know if it's the water or what, but... Anyhow, Jonathan's going to be sharing with us, updating us on what's going on with our church plant. He's also going to be uh, sharing with us about what we'll be a part of this summer. Our team of 15 heads out there June 25th to be a part of kids camp for a week. So you can be talking about that. And he's going to share with you because Jonathan's a South Alabama boy. He's going to share with us his journey of how God led him to be a part of the church plant there at Waken City and Harriman. So do be praying about that next week. Make sure you're here for the 10 o'clock service. We'll be back to 9 o'clock Sunday school, 10 o'clock worship next week. And you don't want to miss that. Pay close attention to right there in your uh, bulletin. There's so many things that, man, I'm not going to try to go over all those things, but just just right off the top, right, right in front of us, Bible Reading Marathon over our city starts May 1st also at 5.30 with a worship service at Ross Park. The reading starts at 6 and will continue 90 hours straight till Thursday, May 5th, and will culminate with a prayer service on the front yard of the courthouse at 12 noon. This is a wonderful opportunity to speak the word over our city because I believe the word of God changes people. The word of God changes families. It changes churches. It changes communities. It changes cities, states, and nations. The word of God changes the world. Amen? So let's be much in prayer for that. Go to that website. Pick your reading time. Anybody wants to meet me there at 2 a.m., I'll be glad to be there with you, okay? I'm sure I'm going to be there some during that time this year. So do remember that. It's a lot of fun. It's a great time to fellowship. It's also, even if you're not reading, for that 90 hours, there are people that just come pull up a chair, get a cup of coffee, and just just hang out there and just listen to the Word of God and just pray for the folks reading. So there's a lot of good things you can do, okay? If you have any questions about any of those announcements, come by the Welcome Center or the back door, and we'll be glad to answer them for you. All right, Ted, y'all come on. Uh, time to worship through giving. It's an act of worship each time we open our hearts and our pocketbooks to the Lord because, you know, it's all His anyhow. Did y'all know that? It's all his, and he just trusts us to be good stewards of it. And I'm grateful to be a part of his church. As we give our regular tithes and offerings, Andy Armstrong for North American Missions continues through the month. And as we give today, we give from our hearts joyfully, cheerfully, sacrificially, because we believe God's given us a part of something hell can't stop, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's join our hearts together, and let's ask God's blessings on our giving. Yes, God. 
get out today two quick things. I was just handed another. Don't forget, this wasn't in the bulletin this week, but next week's also the second installment of our new RC ministry, Radio Control, that Tim uh, Perry and all the guys, Steve and all those guys are doing. It's a great opportunity for your young kids or if you're an older kid and you enjoy stuff like that. I always tell our guys, whatever your passion is, use it for his purpose. If you got a passion for something, use it for the glory of God. These guys... They got some remote control cars that cost as much as my truck, I think. But anyhow, they uh, but uh, anyhow, but they do a good job with it, and, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So don't forget that. That's at three o'clock next Sunday afternoon. And don't forget too, if you haven't had your picture made yet, we'd love to have everybody's picture if we can. Go by the photo booth there in the war room. It's right here on this main level. Just come to the welcome center if you need help, and they'll get you the right place, and they'll snap your picture real quick and get you on your way. Okay? And I know it's going to be a great Great, great Easter afternoon. Might get a little cloudy, looks like, out there. So get you home for 